the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Galatians. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. So grace is God's riches given unto us at the expense of Christ. God's riches at Christ's expense. More than 120 times through the epistles that Paul writes, he uses the word grace. More than 120 times. That is more than the other writers of the New Testament combined. He is the apostle of grace, and for good reason. He has experienced much grace in his life. We all like getting gifts, whether it's for Christmas, a birthday, or just because gifts make you feel valued and loved. Well, today, Pastor Gary begins a new series in the book of Galatians. And in it, Paul, the author of this book, talks a lot about the gift of grace that God has given you. You'll discover that though this gift is free to you, it costs Jesus everything, even his very life. And why does Paul write so much about grace? Well, because he's been given so much of it. Paul's blown away by this amazing gift. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection, subscribe to the podcast, or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Galatians chapter 1 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. The book of Galatians. Let me give a bit of of an introduction, somewhat perhaps a lengthy introduction, but as we begin a new book, I want to just kind of lay the foundation with you and have everybody understand kind of the background and the context of this book, and then we'll get into, Lord willing, chapter one tonight. But for those of you who like to take notes, here first a few bullet points about the book of Galatians. It is thought to be perhaps Paul's first epistle written around 49 A.D., So the Bible is not uh, particularly in chronological order, and even though we just got through studying 1st and 2nd Corinthians, two letters that Paul wrote, it is believed that Galatians predates those letters, and that this, in fact, might be the first of Paul's epistles. When we speak of Galatia, we're talking about a province in Asia Minor, which would be located today in modern-day Turkey. This is the region that he is writing to, and he's going to write to the churches, plural, of Galatia, because he established different churches as a result of his first missionary journey through the province of Galatia. His first missionary journey was around the years 48 to 49 AD, so it is believed then that he writes this letter to the churches of Galatia following his first missionary journey. And in the book of Acts, it tells us that during Paul's first missionary journey through the province of Galatia, that he uh, visited four particular cities, Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Derbe, and Lystra. And so 
through the book of Acts, it gives us all the details about Paul's missionary journey and what was said and done and the events of the ministry to the churches of Galatia. Well, he planted various churches along the way. And soon thereafter, he gets word of how they are erring, how they are falling away from the truth. And he even exhorts them. He talks about in in chapter 3, for example, verse 1, he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? And so he challenges them. He's going to talk here in chapter 1 about the people who are throwing you into confusion. If you look at verse 7, back here in chapter 1, he says, he says evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. There were among the Galatians some people called the Judaizers. Now, the Judaizers were people who believed that Jesus was the way to salvation. They had that part right. But then they added things. So because they were Jewish, the Judaizers said, okay, we believe that Jesus is Messiah, he's the way to salvation, but it's also Jesus plus. And then they would add certain things as requirements. Jesus plus circumcision as a Jewish rite. A Jesus plus observing the Sabbath. Jesus plus the feasts. Jesus plus kosher foods. And so they would add to it. Now, listen, we have a modern day version of this where unfortunately some people believe it's Jesus plus water baptism, Jesus plus speaking in tongues, Jesus plus baptism of the Holy Spirit, Jesus plus holy communion, Jesus plus penance. All right. There's a modern version of this error too in our own day that has corrupted the simplicity and the purity of the gospel. Because whenever you make it Jesus plus, you've just made it a man-made religion. You've made it a works-oriented religion. Whenever you say Jesus plus something, you've just made it now a works-oriented religion, and you've nullified the cross. Because Ephesians tells us, Paul is going to tell us later in his letter to the Ephesians, he says, it is by grace are you saved through faith, and this the gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. So he takes away the concept that anybody should think that they have earned their way to heaven because it is through faith in what Christ has done alone. It is never Jesus plus. It is only Jesus only. And when you add anything to the message of the gospel, that is to say that Jesus died on a cross for our sins and by faith we receive and believe in what he did on our behalf. When you add anything to that, you've corrupted it. That's what's happening in the church of Galatia. So there's some modern significance when we read this letter because of the way that even some today would add things to the cross, add things to Jesus. It is Jesus only. It is Jesus only. Paul says some people are throwing you into confusion. And they've actually used the word there, they've perverted the gospel. They've changed the truth of the meaning of the gospel. And they've thrown you into confusion. So he's going to write here, heavily about grace. Grace. Now, many of you have heard the acronym for the word grace before, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. So grace is God's riches given unto us at the expense of Christ. God's riches at Christ's expense. More than 120 times through the epistles that Paul writes, He uses the word grace more than 120 times. 
that is more than the other writers of the New Testament combined. He is the apostle of grace, and for good reason. He has experienced much grace in his life. He's going to tell us here in chapter 1 how he was zealous for persecuting Christians. He was breathing out murderous threats. His whole conversion experience recorded in Acts chapter 9 tells us about how Paul had this confrontation by Jesus on the road to Damascus, Syria, when Paul was going from Jerusalem to Damascus in an attempt to kill Christians, or to at least have them arrested and prosecuted, because he was so zealous for the cause of Judaism and for his belief in God that he initially believed that Christianity was aberrant theology. He originally believed that this whole thing about Jesus and being saved through grace in Christ, you know, that's heresy. You know, a good Jew's going to believe it's the law. We have to obey the commandments. And by obeying the commandments, that's how we get to heaven, by being a good person, by doing good works, by obeying all the laws of God. That's how you get to heaven. That's how you're made righteous. No, it's never been that way. Listen, the law of God reveals my need for a savior. Because when you allow the law of God as a mirror to show a reflection of your heart, it exposes just how wicked you are. The law was never intended to save us. The law was intended to expose to us the condition of our own hearts. It's like a thermometer. Listen, a thermometer does not make you well, all right? A thermometer can only tell that you're sick. You put a thermometer in your mouth and you have a fever. There's nothing about the thermometer that can make you well. It only exposes the fact that you've got a problem. That's the way the law is. It cannot make you well. It only exposes the fact that you and I have a problem. We're going to talk about that a little bit more as we get into chapter 1. But it's about grace. And so Galatians has been referred to often as the Magna Carta of Christian liberty because it expresses the freedom we have in Christ. Not freedom to indulge the sinful nature, not freedom to do whatever we jolly well want to do, but freedom in Christ in the sense that Grace brings a whole new refreshing perspective to who God is and how much he loves me versus the law. My pastor, who's now gone on to be with the Lord, Pastor Chuck Smith, this is what he would always say regularly. Justice is getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. But grace is getting what we don't deserve. Okay, now you got to think through that carefully, but let's put it in the sense of like a a courtroom scene. So you committed a crime and you know that you did it and you're guilty of it. Justice would be getting whatever jail time or punishment was appropriate for the crime. That's justice. It's getting what you deserve. If you do the crime, you must serve the time, right? Mercy, and we've heard this expression about you throw yourself on the mercy of the court. Mercy is when a judge decides, okay, you are guilty, but rather than getting prison time, you're going to get mercy. We'll allow mercy of the court and so you're able to go free. That doesn't usually happen. There's usually some probation or something involved, but just in the best sense of mercy of the court, it would be not getting what you deserve at all. That's mercy. But grace, grace is even beyond that. That would be like the judge not only saying, yes, you are guilty, but instead of getting what you deserve, uh, because mercy is not getting what you deserve, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a job, I'm going to send you out with some money, and I'm going to give you a new car to drive home with. I mean, now, there's, uh, that's a probably a horrible analogy, because I just put it in terms of material things, but, you know, in our finite ability to understand things, you know, trying to whittle down spiritual things to our reality is sometimes difficult. But it's the idea that you got something even better 
than what you deserved because when you went into that courtroom, you were guilty as anything, but instead of getting the sentence that you deserved, you actually got blessed with something graciously. So in the sense of our salvation, justice would be we go to hell because all are sinners and all fall short of the glory of God and hell would be just punishment for our sin. We live in rebellion to God. We live in disobedience to God. And so therefore we deserve the punishment. That would be justice. Mercy would be escaping hell. But grace is getting the abundance of that fellowship with who the Lord is and getting the eternal reward of heaven when we die. Grace covers so much more than I can just articulate in a sentence or two. But it is getting even that which we don't deserve over and above what even mercy says. So justice, mercy, and grace, three important words, but for the purpose of this Bible study, we're going to be looking primarily at the subject of grace. This book, the book of Galatians, was so influential in the life of Martin Luther that it led to the Protestant Reformation. Look at what Martin Luther said about the book of Galatians. He said, the little book of Galatians is my letter. I have betrothed myself to it. It is my wife. In fact, his wife's name was Catherine von Bora, and he often referred to as the book of Galatians as Catherine von Bora. He said, this is my wife. He was so married to it because it changed his life. Martin Luther was first a Roman Catholic and a good Roman Catholic, but he struggled with some of the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church, primarily indulgences and penance. And, you know, he would even write about how he would climb the steps of of St. Lawrence Chapel in Rome and trying to do penance and trying to self-flagellation and all that whole thing about just trying to, to show that through suffering I can get closer to God. And he would talk about his bloody knees crawling up the steps of St. Lawrence Chapel in Rome, trying to try to get closer to God and trying to do these things to restrict himself and deny pleasure and all these different things, thinking that all these different sacrifices and works and good behavior and things would get him closer to God. And then he read in Galatians 3 about how the just shall be saved by faith. And it it rocked his world. And he realized that there's a relationship I can have with God that is through faith and not based on my works. And so the book of Galatians altered his entire spiritual life. And as a result, he ended up referring to this book by the name of his wife and then leading the Protestant Reformation. Now, some of you with Catholic backgrounds, and there are many in our church with Catholic backgrounds, you will hopefully find the book of Galatians to be a refreshing book because all your life you have striven to try to please God. And if I can just do these good things and maybe God will love me more and maybe then I'll be on my way to heaven and you've actually added good works to Jesus. You've made Jesus plus good works. Now don't misunderstand me. Listen, we should want to do good works, but we should want to do good works in response what he has done, not to gain his favor. We can't gain any more favor than what has already been accomplished for us on the cross. So we do good works and we want to honor God in response to what he has done for us, not as a stepping stone to earn God's favor. It is not Jesus plus good works. So hopefully for some of you, this will be a rather liberating 
book as we studied together, only six chapters, and it is neatly divided into three sections. For those of you, again, taking notes, chapters one and two is basically about grace defended. Chapters three and four is about grace defined, and chapters five and six are about grace depicted. He's going to give examples of it. And so as we look through these chapters, the main theme here will be grace. So, as we look here into chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me, to the churches, plural, in Galatia. Now, again, notice Paul identifies himself as an apostle. We already talked about in his letter to Corinth, he says, I'm an apostle, but one as if abnormally born. He didn't come in the way the original hand-selected 12 apostles came to be apostles. He came by way of a personal revelation and visitation from Jesus. But nevertheless, he is an apostle, just not one of the original 12. Uh, He says, listen, I wasn't sent by man, wasn't chosen by man, sent by God, chosen by God. Uh, belong to him. My ministry has been ordained by him. And he adds this part about God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead because it's all about the resurrection of Christ. If Christ be not raised, then our faith is in vain and our preaching is in vain, Paul would write. And so he says, I'm an apostle. I'm an eyewitness of the resurrected Lord. Two important qualifications for an apostle in the New Testament, an eyewitness of the resurrected Lord and one who performs miracles. And Paul qualified in that sense for both of those reasons. And he writes here to the churches in Galatia. And he says in verse 3, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So he writes here, grace and peace, that's his standard introduction. It's always in that order. It is never peace and grace. It's always grace and peace. Those are two common, familiar ways that the Greeks and the Jews would introduce themselves. The Greeks would often say, uh, grace, charis, and the Jews would often say, shalom, peace. So he uses both, but please note the order. It is often be said, you will not be able to know the peace of God until you first know the grace of God. It's grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he's going to say basically three things I want you to notice here between verses 3 and 5. He says again in verse 4, who gave himself for our sins, circle the word sins in your Bible or highlight it in your electronic devices, sins. To rescue us, circle the word rescue, from the present evil age, circle the word evil or both evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So there's three things right here off the top at the beginning of this letter that Paul assumes we understand. And and I just want to make sure that everybody understands the basis from which he's launching this letter because he has an understanding of three clear assumptions, and we need to have the same clear understanding. So here are the three things that he already, you know, these are already givens, okay? Number one, we have a sin problem. Number two, we live in an evil age. And number three, we need to be rescued. Okay, if you don't get this part, you're not going to understand the rest of the book of Galatians. 
So if we could just take a few minutes first to just kind of park it here and to understand some of the basics of Christianity revealed to us right here between verses 3, 4, and 5. Jesus Christ gave himself, he tells us, for our sins. We all have a sin problem. We all have a sin nature. And therefore, we are sinners because we have a sin nature. We are born with a sin nature, and therefore we sin. Okay, and David makes it clear in Psalm 51.5, Surely I was sinful from my mother's womb from the time I was conceived. Okay, so we all inherit a sin nature because Adam, our great ancestor, sinned. The human race was spoiled. The sin natures passed through the seed of man. And therefore, when we inherit a nature from our earthly father, we have inherited a sinful nature because it has been passed down since the days of Adam. The sinful human nature was corrupted with Adam, and therefore we are born with a corrupted sinful nature. Now, sin is a big fancy word that most people don't use outside of church that basically means you've missed the mark. You've fallen short. God is a perfect standard. None of us meets it. None of us is perfect, and all of us fall short, the Bible says, of the glory of God, of God's perfect standard. So in that sense, therefore, we're all sinners. Comparatively speaking, we can all understand we're sinners if we take a look at someone else, (laughs) but we can also try to justify ourselves when we look at other people. So you can always find someone better than you, and you can always find someone worse than you. That should never be the standard. Other people are never the standard for our lives. It's always on the basis of who Christ is, and because Christ is perfect, we never measure up. Therefore, we're all sinners. We fall short of the glory of God. We have a sin nature. We do wicked, evil things. That's sin. We violate the commandments of God willfully and sometimes unwillfully, but we are lawbreakers, we are sinners, we are rebellious against God. And nobody had to teach you to be a sinner. It comes very, very naturally. Can you remember one of the first things you ever did that you realized this is probably wrong and you had a conscience about it? I remember my sister and I were probably, I don't know, I'm going to say, I have one sibling, a sister, she's 14 months older than I am. She was probably like eight and I was seven. And... There was a a girl who lived next to us who was a teenager, and she always was like the mother hen of the neighborhood. And she would always gather the kids together and and coordinate games and do little charming things with the neighborhood kids. And my sister and I refused to be a part of it. We were just anti-union, and we were just like, we're not joining the neighborhood union, and we're not going to do the little kids' games, and we're like, we're not going to do what Elaine wants us to do. And so we decided we weren't going to do what the neighborhood kids did when Elaine got us all together and had these little neighborhood little game things. Well, we remember one Easter that Elaine would uh, dye Easter eggs with the neighborhood kids, and then she'd hide them in her backyard, and then she'd call all the neighborhood kids to come and find all the Easter eggs. And my sister and I were sitting in our home, and we're looking out our window, because she was our next-door neighbor, and we're like, oh, look at Elaine. She's hiding all these eggs, and doesn't she think she's special? They're going to have a little Easter egg hunt. You know, we were just seven, eight years old, and we were just conniving and, you know, scheming and backbiting and gossiping right there in our house. Nobody had to teach us, you know, why don't you go ahead and make fun of Elaine? It came naturally. And so what happened was my sister turned to me. She said, you know what? So we watched Elaine hide all the Easter eggs and all the kids were in her front yard. And then she went to the front yard where she then was going to give instructions to all the kids and give them little pails. And so when Elaine went from the backyard after hiding the Easter eggs to her front yard, my sister turned to me. She said, why don't you go and steal all the Easter eggs? And so I did. 
And so I went, I scurried out, and we grabbed a little bucket from our house, and Elaine's giving all the instructions in the front yard. And my sister's like, you know, she's staking out the whole place, and so she's watching. She's like got the getaway car, although it wasn't like a getaway car. It was just like come back over to our yard. And But she was going to alert me when Elaine was coming, and so I'm scurrying around. I saw where Elaine hid all the eggs, so I know exactly where they are. I scurried them all up. And then I brought them back into our house, and my sister and I are in our house now watching out the window. It was delicious. Thanks for tuning in today for this edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. We pray today's teaching has blessed you and challenged you to draw closer to your Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're interested in hearing this message again or others like it, feel free to visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app so you can have these teachings with you on the go. That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Simply look under the Teachings tab. While you're there, feel free to take some time to learn about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd be excited to meet you if you're in the area. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other information on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us to learn from God's Word together. And we hope you'll tune in again right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.